Hey, would you please open with me to Matthew chapter 10? Matthew chapter 10, that's where we are. We're making our way through the gospel of Matthew. Um, this year, I'm not going to divert away to do special Christmas stuff because there's, well, you'll see. Um, title of my message is A Christmas Sword. Um, <laughs> let's pray. God, we just, we just ask as we get into your word, it would be a sweet time that you would cut to the core of our hearts, Lord, and, uh, and, and cut out the bad and just bring in the joy, Lord. We thank you for the work that you are doing and have done. And we just, we, we just want to glorify you and magnify you this morning. And so we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Matthew 10, picking up in verses 34 through 39. Matthew 10, 34 through 39. says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, but I have come to bring, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Man, those are heavy verses. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's really ironic as I was thinking about this, because whenever I read the scriptures and I come to a verse and I go, wait a second, like, what about peace on earth and goodwill towards men? What's going on there? You know, uh, and, and we often quote that Luke two fourteen in the King James version, which reads glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. The angel declaring this magnificent, just shot across the bow to the shepherds. It's awesome. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. And, and we sing that in our songs. And um, from that version, there seems to be a broad declaration of, of peace on earth from God because of the coming of the Messiah. And the problem is when you come to a verse like verse 34, you've got a contradiction. What's going on here? You've got the angel declaring peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And Jesus that comes, the one that the angels talking about comes and says, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. So what's going on there? Which is it? And, and this is why we have a lot of confusion about the peace that God brings through Christ Jesus. And sadly, Luke 24 is one of those rare places that the King James Version is mistranslated. The problem with the translation is that the original isn't declaring peace and, good, and goodwill towards all men. Although obviously there is that common grace of God towards all of us. But when Jesus came into the world, the angel wasn't announcing peace and goodwill towards all men from God. Other translations, if you have a, a different translation, the King James or the New King James, even in the King James and the New King James, you'll see, and you'll go down to the footnotes. They try to let you know there's a difference there, but other translations have tried to clarify what the original said, and they're trying to bring it into the English, English language correctly. The NSAB... B, for example, in NASB stand, uh, reads, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among people with whom he is pleased. Well, that's a different context. Peace comes to those with whom he is pleased. ES, uh, the NIV reads, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, 
peace to those on whom his favor rests. The ESV, which we read it out of uh, in the, in the, in the, they're in the seat backs in front of you, by the way, as it was said, you can take it one home with you if you don't have a Bible, but the ESV says much the same glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased with those he is pleased. And so the peace that the angel was announcing was not a universal global peace from God. It was a peace from God that came from with whom uh, God was pleased. Well, who's that? Who is God pleased with? Well, the peace and goodwill of God comes to those who receive his son, who come to know his son, Jesus Christ. It is through him that we have that peace and goodwill with God. Those are the ones who have peace on earth. And hopefully that's, us this morning. If you have received Christ as your savior, if you have believed upon Jesus, you have peace with God. Amen. On earth. And I say that to repeat what Jesus says in verse 34 here in Matthew 10 says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Heavy verses. This is the Christmas story from God's perspective. God in his love and mercy sent his son to the earth, light breaking into the darkness of humanity, life piercing death in advance of the kingdom of God upon the kingdom of Satan and his inhabitants and those under his control, all of humanity. Jesus came not bringing peace, but a sword. John in his gospel in chapter one, he paints this picture with these images. If you just read about the eternal word becoming flesh, he uses these words to describe light in the darkness. He describes the light that the eternal, I mean, Jesus in God is is light. These words like light and life, they're synonymous for who he is, his very character coming into the world, light coming into darkness, spiritual, eternal life, piercing into the death of humanity, busting into our world and radiating his light, his spiritual life, giving eternal life to whomever would believe upon him to those whom the father has given to the son. This is what was going on. Jesus entered the world. He emanated that spiritual life, a world where mankind is enslaved to sin of whom we all have been slave to sin under the darkness, under the oppression in chains and irons bound in afflictions because we all have rebelled against God. Sons of Adam, every single one of us. Total darkness ruled by our flesh, Ephesians 2, under the power and the sway of the enemy, no one to help. Oh, but Jesus busted into the world because of the love of God. Amen. He loved us. And so here in Jesus 34, as he's talking to his apostles, the guy he's sending out, remember this whole chapter and the one before he's preparing his disciples to go and he's saying, Hey, this is not going to be easy. I don't want you to have a false concept of what we're doing here. You're not going to walk out into the crowds and everybody's going to be like, Oh yeah. Light. Oh, we just love light. Don't expose our darkness. Come on in. No, he wants them to know once again, that as they are going to go into the world as his messengers, that all of humanity would be divided into two camps. This is what Jesus came to do. Those who are his and those who are not those who believe and those who do not believe 
those who respond and those who do not respond, those who come out of the darkness into the light and those who remain in the darkness. That's, that's the picture. It's really simple. It's black and white. And you are this morning, all of us, we are either in one camp or the other. You're either in the kingdom of light or you're in the kingdom of darkness. And you can be going to church and be a part of the kingdom of darkness. You can be in part of leadership and be a part of the kingdom of darkness. Now, real quickly, I have to make that clear when Jesus says, I've come to bring a sword. There's certain people will take this and go, Oh, cool. Let's lock and load and let's go bring the kingdom of four, you know, heaven forward. Let's go do crusades. Let's go shoot people. Let's, you know, bring the kingdom by force. That is not what Jesus is talking about. So we just need to just get rid of that. I'm not even going to preach on that, but there are those who would twist that to their own advantage and say, this is a military campaign. We need to be militant. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Although there is a definite war going on. And, and the Christians can expect to be at the pointy end of the stick. <laughs> That's part of what he's talking to his disciples about. Get ready for it. He's not calling them to arms. Jesus is saying that he is going to bring about a spiritual division that they had better understand that the world is not going to accept them with open arms. And they are not going to accept you with open arms. Expect rejection, expect hostility, expect division. And notice who is doing the dividing. Jesus says, I have come to divide. He's not the great unifier in the sense that he is dividing out from the world, a people unto himself. That is actually what the, the word church kind of means. It's the gathering, the called out ones. We're called out from darkness into his kingdom, into his life. We're a peculiar people. Peter, Peter says a special people called to declare his praises being pulled from the kingdom of darkness and light. And I really paraphrase that, but you get the idea, but there isn't going to be a peace with mankind in general, rather a division, a sharp division. And Jesus said he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. In what way would he do that? In what way would that sword come and cut? Keep reading verse 35 for I have come to set a man against his father, a son against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I know that third one, isn't that, you know, there's a cultural thing going on there, <laughs> but obviously from Jesus perspective, he gives us those three really tight relationships. Some of the deepest relationships you're to have between parents and their kids and married people moved into the family relationship. It's supposed to be a tight, loving, naturally affectionate dynamic from God's perspective. And in verse 36, he gives us the principle that Jesus is driving at. Look at it. Here's the principle in Jesus's enemies will be those of his own household. Listen, this is so important. Jesus is saying that he's going to divide humanity into two groups. Those who are his and those who are not believers and non-believers, the sheep and the goats. I keep using these terms because this is the new Testament, how it views it. And that division is going to strike the most fundamental levels of human relationship. 
it's going to set family members against one another. And Jesus lists there in 35, some of the most tight knit relationships, a man or a son and his father, a daughter and her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, these aren't, these are generalities there, but think of how much some of you love your mom and how much some of you love your kids, you know, and what you wouldn't do for them and how you've sacrificed for them and, and how much you love them and care for them. And, and that is a God ordained natural affection that he has put within us for relationship. That's a good thing, by the way. But he says, I'm going to set people against one another. I'm going to set family members against one another. This is God. This is Jesus saying, I'm going to set you against one another. And that word set Apart, that word apart means to cut asunder, to cut in half, to tear. I'm going to tear you apart. The cutting in two, in other words, as people respond to Christ and believe upon him, you're born again, you're transformed, you're conveyed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You have moved out of that old life and that old dynamic and those old relationships. And now you have been brought in to a new family, a new relationship, a new power dynamic. There is now going to be as a real result of God's grace and saving someone, there is now going to be a spiritual division that comes about where a believer's allegiance is now for Christ over family. Christ over family. If you are a Christian, it means you have Christ as Lord over all other authorities in your life. Christ is supreme in your life. That's what it means. And we do a disservice when we tell people, Oh, come to Jesus and do whatever you want. Come to Jesus and live. However you want come to Jesus and stay in that relationship, stay in that lifestyle, stay in, in, in whatever it is. No, it's an absolute surrender and abandonment. It's a total, you're on the uh, deck of the carrier signing over all of your rights and saying, we've lost, I've lost the war and I surrender totally to you. And by the way, that, that is not like a, Oh, I'm defeated. It's a response to God's love. By the way, I don't want to paint that in the wrong light. He has loved us to death. And we respond to his grace. We can't help but go, man, I'm yours. And so Christ over family, as Jesus has separated unto himself, those who are his. And some of you have experienced this division. When you come to Christ, you you were in maybe a godless family or a a quasi Christian family. and, And you come into relationship with Jesus. And now there is a division as you have this new life in you and they do not. It's not an arrogant thing. It's the, it's the nature of who you are. Now you're now part of the light and they're part of the darkness. Does this mean you don't love them? Of course you love them. And we'll talk about that in a second. Actually to love God causes you to love one another, right? That's, that's, it's a very important thing But Peter speaks of this dynamic in relationships. Um, if you're taking notes, first Peter four, and I just do one through five for context, but it's first Peter four, four. If you're taking notes, that's a very important thing. Peter saying, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Okay. I'm going to suffer in the flesh. Like Jesus suffered in the flesh for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And, and, and so to live for the rest of the time here in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. In other words, I'm no longer living the way I used to controlled by sin and death. I am now 
following Christ. I'm living for his will, not mine. And that's the path of Christianity. That's what God is sanctifying and doing within each of us. Amen. When you're born again, you're saved from the penalty of sin, but now he's going to save you from the power of sin in your life. That sanctification, you're being changed into the image of Christ as you walk with him. So less me, more of Jesus every day. Amen. Until that day when you're glorified. But so as to live the rest of the time here in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God for that time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passion, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawlessness, lawless, idolatry, lawless idolatry. In other words, just all the junk we used to do as just going to flow of the world. So that, that, that time is done, but with verse four, and this is the key thing with respect to this, they, that is all the other relationships you had, those who are not Christians, they do what? They're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and, and judge the dead. And that division comes down to even family. Oh, you're such a Jesus freak now. You're always carrying your Bible. You're always reading stuff. You're always wanting me to go to church. You're always kind of being holier than thou. And it's like, okay, I'm not perfect, but I tell you what, man, there is when the light gets switched on there, it's on and you can't go back. It's different. There is now a sharp division between your life in Christ and the old life in the flesh. And so there is a tension, a divide between believers and non-believers, even in the most fundamental basic relationships and family. And know that if you are, if you have been brought to Christ, that this is God who divides. This is God who brought you to himself as you are living in the light. We're not being cantankerous. We're not poking people. We're not doing any of that stuff. We're just naturally living in the light by the nature of his life in you. Darkness does not like it. And that's just the way it goes. I remember coming out of the world and man, just friends. I, I couldn't hang with them anymore because of what they were doing because of who I had been. I, I, it was just a different, my heart began to hurt when I, man to re-engage in that kind of stuff. And I just, it was no longer me. There was a light that was within me. My allegiance was now to Jesus. And even in things of family dynamics, I would no longer do and kind of get maybe a little bit of judgment or whatever it might be. Um, God was gracious in my family. Everybody kind of was following the Lord and all that good stuff, but man, it's, it's hard. And some of you are in relationships where you're married you know, you're a believing spouse and your spouse is not. And so there's this spiritual tension going on and it's hard. We understand Jesus says, know this, expect this. You know, and that sword cuts to the deepest bonds of relationship. And, and we need to know that's okay. That's a work of God. Now, one of the reasons that people do not repent and follow God is that the thought of losing that relationship, of losing that dynamic of, of, of not being in relationship with your parents, of not being in relationship with your kids, of not being able to be with that boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it might be anymore, of not being able to 
function in the job you were in or the, the path you were going on and all that kind of stuff, because it's contrary to Christ, man, that's just like, you know what? I can't do it. The cost is too much. I will not go down that road. I will not go down that road. How many of you before, I remember this thinking this like, you know, at 18 or 19, 20, somewhere around there when God is working on my heart and he was pulling me, I'm going, if I follow you, I'm going to lose all my friends. If I follow you, I'm going to lose the relationship or I can't play the music I want. And I can't, you know, there's just all these things that were my flesh just wanted. Well, Jesus has a response. Verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Why isn't he lightening up? Why isn't he just making it easy for us? Now this is striking at the heart of human relationship, isn't it? And it hurts. The relationships between parents and children. Notice Jesus is not calling people to hate their parents or to hate their children. I really want you to know that as a Christian, we're not to be marked by hate. Now in Luke chapter 14, Jesus uses a figure of speech. You don't need to flip over there. It's the parallel passage. He says something to the effect of, unless you hate your mother and father and your kids and, and all these relationships, unless you hate them, you cannot be my disciples. It's the parallel passage to this. What does Jesus say here? He says, if you love them more than me, you cannot be my disciples. You're, you're not worthy of me. It's the same idea. He's not telling you to hate. He's using extreme language in Luke 14 to say the same thing. I've got to be number one. I've got to be the supreme love of your life. I will not take second place. And if I take second place, you are not worthy of him. I am not worthy of him. That's what he says. He's saying that he must be loved more than any other relationship. And for God, love is displayed through obedience. John 15. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Is he number one? Is he the authority in your life, right? Listen, God created family. He wants you to love one another. Okay. (laughs) Loving kids is a great thing. And there's a great lack of it because of selfishness in, in our culture. Amen. And loving parents means obeying your parents, submitting to them. And there's a great lack of it in our culture. There's a great lack of love. Love is not getting what you want. It is obeying and considering others above yourself. Right? And so God has called us to love in natural ways, natural affections, parents for kids, kids for parents, you know, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, all these types of things. Right? So God is not dismissing that. He's saying my love has to be supreme. Your love for me has to supersede any of those relationships. When we receive Christ it is a total surrender to him, to his love and his authority. And we receive Jesus, not only as savior, but as Lord lordship over our lives. That means ultimately he is now in control. We go where he says he's the shepherd. We're the sheep. Amen. Easier said than done.
Our love for him is to be, is to supersede all other loves, even the love and devotion, even to supersede the love and devotion of parents and children, again, which are good and righteous things. So, and truthfully, here's the thing. When we love the Lord God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and all our strength, what follows that? What does God say then to do? And love your neighbor as yourself. When we fail to love God first, we fail to love one another as God designed us to love. We have to get that right. When we fail to put God first, we fail to love one another. You ever notice that when you're not loving God, you're not loving one another very well. Anybody else? Yeah, me too. But that's the byproduct of loving God is you are going to love your mom and dad. You're going to love your kids. Kids, if you love God, what's going to happen? You're going to obey him. If you love your parents, you're going to obey them. Not in things that are evil. Amen. (laughs) Because we have a lordship of Jesus Christ in our life where we are called to do something that contradicts him. We disobey them and we obey God. But Jesus says that those who do not love him are love him supremely are not worthy of him. If you've been following along real quickly, remember when he was sending out the apostles into the town, he, he was telling them, Hey, when you go into a town, look for someone who's worthy. And we kind of look at that and go, well, that's kind of judgmental. It's like, what's he talking about? This is what he's talking about. Go look for someone who loves me and, and, and bond with them in ministry, stay at their house, let them love you. You love them. And, and, and bless, it'll be a blessing. This is, these are the kind of people, people who love Jesus supremely. Go partner with them. That's who you're to connect with. That's what he's saying there. Someone who's worthy, worthy of him is someone who loves him supremely. And Jesus says, if, if you don't love me more than your parents and more than your kids, you're not worthy of me, worthy of me. Again, this is to love the Lord is to put him first. And I've beat that drum. Okay. So we know that. And this is a work that God would do in us. It's not... The fruit of the spirit is love. Jesus says, abide. You know, you might be sitting here going, well, I don't love God more than I love my kids. Well, abide in him, obey him, pray for him, put him first, choose to do those things. He will grow that love in you. He'll grow it in you. It's a fruit. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kind, all the fruits of the spirit, right? So abide in him, John 15, and these things will become a natural part of your life. This is a supernatural work. It's not something we muster and manufacture. It's just by hanging with them, loving them. Amen. And so his, when we love him above our parents and our kids and even our husband or wife's will, right? His priorities, his worship, his will above all other relationships. We're going to church. We're hanging out with one another. We're going to give, we're going to love. We're going to put others above ourselves, all that kind of stuff. God priorities above everything else. I'm not trying to manipulate you. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll, you're going to love one another. And if you're not around the one another, you're not loving. Right? (laughs) So we look for the one another's in our daily life. And we gather together in times like this, not just to hear the word of God. It is of supreme importance, but then to look at one another and go, how can I get into your life? How can I get to know you? What do you need? How can I reach out to you? And everybody's looking at you and there should be a time when we are, feeding one another and caring for one another and loving one another. And again, 
Well, let me just say this. God loves us and he created us to love him. And from that, all blessings flow. And Jesus says in verse 38, here he gives us the principle. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Man, these are heavy verses. Jesus here is speaking about taking up a cross. Listen, he has yet to take up his cross. And yet he's talking about the cross. He knows where he's going. He knows what's happening. He's going to die. And in that death, he is putting his father's will above his own self-preservation, above what everybody thinks of him, all that kind of stuff. He's just following his father and glorifying his father. And so too, we follow Jesus. And this is what Jesus is saying. Whoever does not take up your cross, an instrument of execution, and follow me is not worthy of me. To love him supremely is to follow him, to follow him into self-denial, right? And he would go to the cross because he loved his father and wanted to glorify his father. And so we follow in his footsteps. That's what a Christian is. It's a little Christ, (laughs) right? We know that. So he calls us to the same. And this is what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, to follow him to the cross. I love what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in, uh, in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, you must take up your cross and follow him lest we be unworthy of him. Okay. So, um, you know, here's the thing for, for some listening to me right now, God has been calling you. He's been speaking to you. He's been calling you to himself. His spirit has been drawing you. You've been miserable. You know, to follow God, it's important, but the thought of being alienated from family or friends and losing that relationship or the career path or the money that you would make and the comfort, the convenience and all that stuff. The thought of losing all these things is causing a conflict within you to keep you from following Jesus. It's excruciating to be in that place where you're giving up those things. It is painful to give up those things, to surrender them to, to, to the Lordship that, that they might not work out anymore. We don't know if our parents are going to accept us anymore. And it's an excruciating thing. And that word excruciating has the word crux in the middle, which is it means cross. And it, and it describes the pain of following Jesus, the pain that the Lord felt on the cross. Excruciating comes from the pain that Jesus felt on the cross. And so when we join in him, there is pain in our lives. Expect a cross. How many of us want Christianity without a cross? Anyone? Listen, here's a, here's a good mental model. Cross now, crown coming. <laughs> cross now, crown is coming. Amen? You got to think of that. We want comfort now. No cross. We want the crown now. No, cross now, crown coming. Not a temporal crown, eternal crown. So we think of this and go, okay, you are worthy of all of it. I laid down everything. I laid down my guitar, leave my own relationships. I laid down my wife. I laid down my kids. I laid down everything. Not that I don't care about these things, but you are more. We pick up our cross and we follow him. Well, how often does that happen? Perhaps daily. Anyone? 
minute by minute, moment by moment, circumstance by circumstance. Yeah. Here's Jesus saying, you must take up the cross and bear the pain of loss. If you want real life in me, if you do not die to yourself and follow me where I am calling you, you are not worthy of me. And let me tell you, there is no life in any other path, but by denying yourself and following Jesus, that's where the life is. Jesus says it another way in verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. You think you're going to, you have life right now, apart from Christ, you're actually going to lose your life in the end. But guess what? Whoever loses his life for my sake, you're going to find it. It's the upside down kingdom. We're all afraid of losing our life. We're all afraid of losing things in our life. And so we hold on to them. We do everything we can to preserve what we want. And when God comes to us, he says, you have to lose your life. You have to give that to me. I might let you keep some of it. I might take it away, but I've got to be number one. And let me tell you, being on the other end of it, having given my heart to the Lord, and you can testify as believers. He is no slacker when it comes to promises. What you give and what you lay down, what he gives back. It far outweighs in relationships and love and purpose and meaning and all the things that he designed for you. It's ironic. The irony is that if you hold on to this facade of life, if you put that above Jesus, well, in the end, you're going to lose it and lose. It is not just like a, well, you lose it. It's the eternal separation from God. Lose it. Not only in the here and now, but, and then, then, but Jesus says, but if you lose your life now for me, and by the way, they would actually lose their lives. You're going to find it. Why? Cause he's life. He's the author. He's the one who designed it. He made you. He designed you. In his mind's eye, purpose, will, all the things he created for you before the foundations of the earth, you are his and he wants you to love him and he wants to love you and you are, have your meaning wrapped up in him. That's what the whole thing is about. And he freely wants it to give it to you in the deepest, most profound ways. What follows the cross is a crown. So Jesus did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword and humanity is divided up to those who take up the cross and those who don't. And those will be put at odds. As Paul said in second Corinthians six fourteen. for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness, two different kingdoms. Verse 40 in closing, who receive, who, whoever receives uh, me, uh, sorry, whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Although there's going to be division, there's unity in Christ. Peace is with those who have peace with God through Jesus and those who accepted the apostles and their messengers, the messengers of Christ, those who accept you, let me extend that to you. Those who accept you as you are ministers of Christ. And as you extend, guess who they're accepting? Jesus 
And guess who they're ultimately accepting? The father, the God, the God, the one who created the heavens and the earth with his son. So Jesus says, when people receive you, they're receiving me and the one who sent me. That's the father. Verse 41, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person uh, because he is a righteous person, receive a righteous person's reward. And so not only will there be those who would receive apostles, Jesus said in doing so, they would receive a there would be rewarded. And he talks about a prophet's reward. I don't really, really understand this, but obviously there's a hierarchy there. There's a prophet. And then he says, there's a righteous man. And then he goes down to even a little one. And so there's a right, there's a prophet. There's a, um, there's a righteous man and there's a little one. In other words, those who receive the most significant, let's just say those are the apostles. You're going to receive a reward. Listen, by by, the people who would respond and receive the message of the gospel through the apostles. When they receive him, they receive Christ and the father. They are accepting God. And here's what God does in his graces and mercy. As they accept him, he rewards them. Isn't that crazy? So God is the original rewards thing. You know, like you accept him. He's going to pour it out on you. Well, what about like just a a righteous person? Well, a righteous person. Well, you guess what? God's not even going to overlook that. He's going to pay back the person who receives a righteous person. Maybe that's us. I don't know, but I I kind of feel like I'm one of the last ones here. Verse 32, uh, 42. And whoever gives one of these little ones, even a cup of water, because he is a disciple, little ones is not kids, but the idea is there. He's painting the picture about little kids. Little kids are insignificant at the table. When you have a bunch of very important people around, makes sense In, in, in that culture. And he's saying, listen, even the little ones, if you give them a cup of water because of my name, in my name, because they are bearing my name, what does he say there? Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And I just kind of look at that like, we're all little ones, because we're his disciples, that's what he equates it to. Listen, when you accept one another, when not except in the worldly, except when you receive them and, and bless and minister to one another, what we're actually doing is we're ministering to the Lord Jesus himself. We're ministering to the father. When you love one another, you're actually loving Jesus. You're loving the father. How, well, Matt, that's a weird, how do you, how do you get that? Well, it all comes down to Matthew 25. Just flip to Matthew 25 and closing Matthew 25 verses 31 through 40. I know. Like, where am I going? Hold on. Jesus is painting a picture of the disciples being like little kids among important people, even ministering to the little kids, the new believer, so to speak, the person who doesn't have prominence in the church, just a brother or a sister, or young and old. Jesus says, even a cup of water given to them because they are Jesus's disciples. Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. As you love one another, as you receive one another, as you care for one another, God is taking note, meticulous notes. Matthew 25, 31 through 14 says, when the son of man comes in his glory and he's coming and all the angels with him, and then he will sit on his glorious throne before him, will be gathered all the nations. This just means everyone. 
and he will separate one from another as shepherds separates the sheep from goats. There will be a real clarity at that moment who are his and who are not, who is not. This is the great white throne. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king, that's the Lord, will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. God has been at work preparing a kingdom for the righteous. Well, why are we righteous? How did that work? How is that displayed more, more, I should say more accurately. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and you gave me drink and I was a stranger and you welcomed me and I was naked and you clothed me and I was sick and you visited me and I was in prison and you came to me and the righteous will answer me saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you as stranger and welcome you or in naked and clothe you. And, and when did you see you sick or in prison to visit you? Like how many of us have seen Jesus? I mean, hopefully you're not all raising your hands right now. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, when, when have we done that? When have we ministered to Jesus? And the King will answer them. Truly. I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, the little ones, You did it to me. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundations of the world. He will reward those who receive those who are his. God is keeping track, brothers and sisters. He's keeping track of everything. And there's a lot of rumors going around this church. You guys have been shoveling snow. I hear about this driving people places. No one wanting to know about it. I heard rumor mill loving one another, caring for one another, paying for things for one another. Just opening up your homes and your lives to people. When you do that, you're doing that to Jesus. You know that? Keep up those kind of rumors. <laughs> Not for our reward's sake. You're going to get it. But when you do that, know who you're ultimately ministering to. When you do it to the least, the most insignificant, no one's ever going to know about it. He's keeping track. Don't worry about the conflict. I mean, it's real. It's here. There's division in families and that's real. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray that God would give us courage. But keep on, keep it on for Jesus. Keep loving until that day you see him face to face. Though the divisions may come, they are necessary. And we pray for the lost family members and we will continue to love them and care for them. But Jesus is number one. Amen. Amen. To the glory of the father. Father, thank you for bringing the sword. And while it hurts, it's so sweet, Lord. And we want more, more people to come to know you, Lord. So may by, may our lives and our interactions in our families, God point to you and testify of your love and your grace and your mercy. And may the world actually have eyes to see and the change of our, in our lives because of what you've done. Make us powerful witnesses for you, Lord. 
And Lord, may the, the world see our love for one another. And by that, know that we're your disciples. Thank you for the season. And Lord, it's, it's dark on one end, but it is so gloriously bright with the work you've done. Lord, I pray that we would see through the facade of everything that's put up and we would look to the heart of the matter. May we walk close to you, wholehearted, full of the love and joy of the spirit. Give us power to overcome temptation, Lord, and the schemes of the evil one and to see beyond the lost person in front of us to the condition of their soul and what you might do. Help us to be those who would proclaim your gospel. And we pray that when people reject us, that we wouldn't take it so personally, Lord, because it's about you. But when they accept us, we would rejoice in that they are accepting you. And that's what we long for. Thank you for your promises, God. And bless this church, God. Bless this gathering and bless your church at large, God. We love them. And we thank you for them. And it's in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. Amen.